0: So today, um, we're going to continue our series on reflections, moving from one thing to the other, over this to over that. And uh, if you'd like, you could open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. There is a Bible app event for this, and I would encourage you to follow along on that if you're able to do that. Uh, Bible app event, you would click the menu, look for an event near you, and uh, Kermansville Alliance should be there. So as I was preparing for this message today, we're talking about moving from being overspent to being overblessed, it occurred to me I wonder how much people are spending on Christmas these days. Do you ever wonder that? How much are people spending on Christmas? What does the average, and this is my question, what does the average American adult spend on Christmas? And it's really hard to find an authoritative answer to that. Harder than you would think. Uh, Because, and here's the problem. A lot of the magazines, they lump it together, like the holidays, and that can mean Christmas and New Year's, it can mean Christmas, New Year's, oh, let's come back to Thanksgiving, throw, let's throw buck season in there. Um, it, it can go all the way back to Halloween, you know, all the holidays. And and Forbes proclaims this, uh, Forbes magazine, I don't know if you're familiar with that, they say parents should expect to spend more than $1,700 this holiday season. Whoa, wow, I'm glad my kids are raised right now. Yeah, that's that's great, yeah. But again, that wasn't my question. I didn't want to know about the holiday season. I wanted to know about Christmas specifically. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, I know that I can find that information online. How much does the average person spend on Christmas? But be careful of the domain names you're going to because there are going to be things like this, and I'm making these up because I didn't want to give you the real ones. But, you know, there's that com. You know, they know how much it costs. And then there's Let's letsgobanking.com. They have it, and then there's... The they have, it. who are they? Anybody can get a b- domain name. You know, you can register a domain name like kermansvillealliance.org for $1.99 for the first year. So just because something's on the internet doesn't mean it, it has any authority at all. So yeah, I couldn't find it there. Uh, there was a third place I looked, Dave Ramsey, because I thought Dave Ramsey, he'll know, right? And I trust Dave Ramsey, L- let's go there. And Dave Ramsey says, last year, I'm not even gonna give you the number he tells because he doesn't date that article. And he's been writing articles for 25 years. So uh, thanks, you're no help at all to me, Dave Ramsey. You're going to laugh when I tell you where where I got the numbers I'm going to share. Southern Living Magazine. (laughs) I know, I know. So uh, the reason I'm sharing theirs is because their answer was intriguing. Here's what they said. How much does the average person spend on Christmas? It depends where you live. If you live in Texas, the people around you on the average are spending... $900 on Christmas, okay? That's Texas. If you move up to the Pacific Northwest in the state of Washington, that number drops to an average of $180. (laughs) So if I'm a dad, I want to live in Washington. (laughs) If I'm a kid, I want to live in Texas. That's what I'm thinking, right? Yeah. People in Florida, on the average, they come in second, $850 per person is what they spend. And I thought, why? Why is Florida so expensive? I think it's because of snow. They don't have snow. And so they're probably trying to help out Santa if his sleigh can't get through down to... uh, No, that's not why. I don't know why. I don't know why. They also said, on the average, that women spend almost twice as much as men do on Christmas. And every woman is nodding, yeah, yeah. And it's not because they're spendthrifts. Here's what it is. It's because the guy's like, yeah, you take care of that, honey. I don't want to deal with that, right? Yeah, I think that's probably it. How much are you spending on Christmas? Now, I'm not interested in the finances. That's not what I'm talking about. I want to talk to you about everything else that you spend, that you pour in to this holiday. How much do you spend in energy that is required for social interactions? And social interactions require energy. You know, sometimes if we have a lot of people here at church, I literally slip into men's room just to kind of breathe air that there's no one asking me any questions, you know, because it takes energy to interact socially, right? How about brain power that is necessary for getting just the right gift? My wife will say, my husband does not use brain power when he buys my gifts. I got this new philosophy, guys. You know, Laura and I are at the point where if we need something, we generally just buy it. So it doesn't do me any good to go into Penny's because she's in there, you know, and she already bought what she wanted in there recently. doesn't do me any good to go to Target or any of those other stores or Walmart. So I'm doing my holiday shopping at a place Laurel never goes. I'm going to Rural King. <laughs> Last night I wrapped all her gifts and I held up this one bag and it said Rural King. I said, baby, you got a big surprise coming. <laughs> and I know what she did. She, she, In her brain, I know what she did. She said, yeah, you're not spending any, any brain power on this at all, are you, Steve? And the answer is, yeah, I'm trying. I'm really trying. But I am spending. You're spending too. You're spending effort in social obligations. I've got to go to this party. And you're spending effort in family considerations. Well, you know, Joe and Susan, they have to be at her parents' house, and then, but Missy and Mike have to be at his dad's and then his mom's. And, and just arranging a Christmas gathering for your family can be really taxing arranging the meal, being at church on Christmas Eve. All those things are expenditures you make mentally, emotionally, socially, in every way. And at the end of the day, you can kind of look in the mirror and you can say, Oh, I just feel like I'm overspent. I feel like I've spent so much on this. And what we're going to do today is we're going to take a look at Mary, the mother of Jesus. And we're going to look at how much she spent on Christmas. And she spent a lot on that first Christmas. And we're going to see how she viewed it and how she managed it. Because as I looked at her story, I found she managed it incredibly well. So if you have your Bibles open to Luke chapter one, we're gonna start at verse 39. You can follow along on the Bible app as well. Let me read it to you. The story picks up here when Mary has just learned that she's going to carry the Messiah, and now she's expecting. So in verse 39, it says, at that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. Now, Elizabeth is a relative. We don't know if it's an aunt or a cousin. Uh, The Bible's not real clear on what kind of relative Elizabeth is, but it's a family member. It's a family member who lives in a remote place, a different place than she lives. So there she is at Elizabeth's home. Says, she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth, verse 41. Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, and the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. The baby in Elizabeth's womb is another relative of Jesus's. It's John the Baptizer or John the Baptist, we call him. Verse 42, in a loud voice, Elizabeth exclaimed, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. You're blessed, Mary. That's what Elizabeth is saying. Verse 46. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised to our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Okay, I want to talk a little bit about Mary. And I want to kind of use her as an example of someone who was overspent and ended up being overblessed. Uh, Think about what she spent on on this first Christmas. First, it costs her her plans. You know, if you ask a teenager who's just getting ready to graduate from high school, what are you going to do when you graduate? They will give you the same answer that I gave. What are you going to do when you graduate, Steve? I don't know. I don't know. Are, Are you going to college? I don't know. You're going to get a job? I don't know. know, Generally speaking, that's the answer you get. And you might get in your head, wow, teenagers, they just don't have any plans at all. That's not true. All of us, when we're that age, are a little bit stymied by the choices that life presents to us. But in the back of our minds, we have plans about what we're doing. Just say to that same teenager, hey, since you don't have any plans, we're going to go ahead and we're going to move to Montana. What are you talking about, Montana? I don't want to move to Montana. Why? Because I have plans. All of us have plans, and teenagers have plans, and Mary was a teenager, and Mary had plans. You can believe that she had big plans. She was engaged to be married, and that's a momentous occasion in anyone's life, but in Mary's life, that was a huge occasion because there weren't a lot of other big plans that a girl from Nazareth, a poor girl from the poor town of Nazareth, could really have at that point. I mean, girls today, they have lots of options. They can go to college. They could go to another kind of a school and learn a trade. They could travel. They could engage in athletics and maybe they get a scholarship and play at this school or that school. They could just live singly. But first century Jewish girls didn't have those kinds of choices. The reputable option that a person like Mary could hope for was that somehow or other her parents had arranged for her to marry a nice man and to take a settle down and raise a nice family. That was pretty much it. And that was almost certainly Mary's plans. And she had to sacrifice them. She had to let go of those kind of plans. Unexpected pregnancy, that can change your plans. Some of you can relate to Mary in that regard. Like it or not, pregnancy comes with a cost. And you can feel a little bit overspent. But it's not just pregnancy that does that. In your life, you experience things like a change in your employer. That can change your plans, right? Your company restructures or shuts down or moves some jobs. Think of those guys at the GM plants that a bunch of those jobs are disappearing like that. Changing plans. It's a huge cost. Think about sickness and how that changes your plans. We were planning to do this, but now we can't do that because we have these doctor's appointments and I don't know what we're going to do about that. And that's a huge price. And you're spending your plans on getting well. Even Christmas can come with a cost and make you feel overspent. What did Mary spend on her first Christmas? What did it cost her? Her plans. It didn't just cost her her plans. It also cost her her reputation because she faced a very difficult situation. She was unmarried and she was expecting. And in her culture, that was not a good thing to be. That was a very bad thing to be in her culture. And you can imagine the reactions that she got when she finally got the courage to tell a couple people that. Mary, are you expecting? Um, yeah, but I haven't been with any man. Um, The angel said that this happened because of a miracle that the Lord did in me. (laughs) She probably learned after the very first person she told that to, just keep your mouth shut. Because who's going to believe that, right? In fact, it's generally considered that the reason she was going to stay with Elizabeth for a third of that pregnancy was just because she didn't want to have to deal with those questions. And who could blame her? (laughs) Her reputation. The first Christmas cost Mary her reputation. Have you ever had something cost you your reputation? Have you ever had your reputation at risk? Maybe someone says something about you that just absolutely is not true, and there's your reputation. That's a huge price. Or maybe the family business is being destroyed because of the actions of one of the employees, and that cost is measured in dollars and cents. Livelihood. I know pastors, pastors whose spouses have made bad choices, destroying the minister's reputation, and that cost is measured in calling and career. I know parents, and you know them as well, who have made bad choices, and so their children are just embarrassed by what the parents did. And flip it around, I know children who have made bad choices so that the parents just don't know how to behave, they don't know how to act, because of this reputation that's been damaged, and that cost is heartbreaking. When something happens, something over which you have no control, that damages your reputation, how do you manage? Maybe you should ask Mary, because we're going to see before we're done today that she managed it very well. So the first Christmas was expensive in terms of her plans. It cost her her reputation. I want to say it also cost her her heart. And there was one old man named Simeon who saw this coming. Right after Jesus is born, Mary and Joseph take him and present him at the temple to be dedicated to God. And this old guy comes up, Simeon. And, and well, just listen to the scripture. Listen to what it says. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And then this last sentence, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. A sword? A sword? What are you talking about? I'm burying, the Lord's, I'm burying the Lord's Messiah. How is that a bad thing? How is that going to be a hard thing? A sword will pierce your own soul too. I don't know if you ever felt a sword pierce your soul. I have not. I have not. I like to whine about the troubles I've experienced in my five decades. But I've never had a sword pierce my soul. But I know people who have. In fact, some of you have. Watching a child suffer long-term and then losing that child under any circumstances. A sword will pierce your soul too. I told you I do a lot of funerals. I was recently with a father and a mother and their child had died. And these words were the words that came out. It feels like my heart is being pulled from my chest. A sword will pierce your heart. That is a huge cost, and that is a cost that Mary was going to be paying here. And yet in the midst of this, we see that Mary recognizes she is actually blessed. We can even say she's overblessed. She says, of God, he has been humble, I'm sorry, he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me, Holy is his name. Now, someone might say, yeah, I think she's being kind of childish here. Mary, you don't know what's coming, kiddo. You're just being naive. But Mary, she's already paid a lot by the time she says this. And she has promised that she will make these payments regardless. Earlier in this chapter of Luke, in verse 38, she says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. I'm yours, God, whatever you want. I love the King James when it says, I'm the Lord's handmaiden. May it be unto me as you have spoken. Just sounds so poetic and to the point, doesn't it? You see what Mary does at that moment with that angel, she takes out her smartphone and she says, this has my calendar on it. It's got all my plans on it. I have my budget on it for my vacation that I'm taking. I got my marriage arrangements on here. I have everything on here. I got the guest list and everything. But here, take it, God. You you can have this. I will spend my social plans on you. I'll spend it. She's not naive. Moreover, she has also spent her social standing. She has paid with her reputation. And I feel that even, even before Mary heard Simeon's words, a soul will pierce you, I'm sorry, a sword will pierce your soul. Even before she hears that, she still considers herself blessed and she still knows it's coming. She has that sense, I feel confident. And yet she says, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. You see, when Mary looked in the mirror at that point in time, Mary could have very well looked into that mirror and say, whoa, I am overspent. This is just too much. But when she looked in the mirror, she was overblessed. And I think we can do that too. I honestly think that you and I can transition in our thinking from feeling like we're overspent to feeling that we're overblessed. And I think we can do that if we'll give some thought to Mary's words and her outlet, her outlook, and see what it was she did that helped her. And the first thing that I see Mary doing is she's leaning into the truth that God is holding out to her. Truth, that's part of God's nature. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And in fact, when When John speaks about Jesus coming, he says that he was full of grace and truth. So truth is important to God. He is God. He is truth. And when he gives it to us, he wants us to grasp grasp it, to lean into it. God held out some truth for Mary to see right in the words of Elizabeth. He graciously reminded her of the truth just as soon as she showed up at Elizabeth's home. Your Bibles are still open, right? So look with me at verse 41. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the spirit, the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, now listen to her words. Blessed are you among women. Blessed is a child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, my baby, the baby in my womb, leaped for joy. Okay, now Mary already knows the truth of the situation. She's heard it straight from the angel's mouth but it's cost her a lot. And so along her journey, God is giving her a reaffirmation, a reminder of that truth. Years ago, I was teaching a group of teenagers and they were perplexed about how a pre-born person inside a woman's womb can actually recognize when another pre-born person inside another woman's womb enters the room. How, they said, did a preborn baby who we're later going to call John the Baptist know to leap for joy when Mary comes into the house carrying a preborn baby who we're going to know as Jesus? The answer's not that hard. Who told that baby to leap? God. That's not the hard question. The harder question is why did God tell John the Baptist to leap? John the Baptist is filled with the Holy Spirit inside his mother's womb. It says that in Luke 1.15. So Who is the leap for? Is a leap for John the Baptist? Maybe a little. Is a leap for Elizabeth? Maybe a little more. Is a leap for baby Jesus? I don't think so. I think the leap is for Mary. I think that what God is doing there is saying, Mary, what you were told several weeks ago is still true. Mary, you are indeed carrying the Savior who is Christ the Lord. Mary, Lean into this truth because this truth will sustain you. You see, Mary felt overspent. But God showed her she was really overblessed. See, when you're feeling like you're paying a lot, like, like you were overspent emotionally or spiritually or socially, take a cue from Mary and say, God, what is the truth that you have for me? And I believe with all my heart that he will bring an Elizabeth into your life and remind you of the truth. And when he does, lean into that truth and say, yes, I know, I know that you're there with me. Along those same lines, Mary actually teaches us to trust God to be true to his word. That's hard for me sometimes. When I feel overspent, my mind kind of plays tricks on me. Steve, you, you were really overspent. You must be doing it wrong. Steve, if you were doing this right, this wouldn't be this hard. Steve, if you were doing us something's wrong with you, that you're having this struggle. Steve, how can I avoid hearing those voices in my head? Trust God's word and trust him to be true to his word. That's exactly what Mary did. In verse 45, Elizabeth says, blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. She trusted God to be true to his word. Let me ask you, when you look into the mirror, do you see someone who maybe looks a little bit overspent? Well, If God's not true to his word, that's exactly what you should see. But if you, like Mary, are trusting God, God your Savior, then you're not just overspent, you're well spent. You're well spent. And By the way, when Mary is trusting God, she is trusting God her Savior. That issue is settled in verse 47, where Mary says, My spirit rejoices in who? God, the one who saved me. Just like you and me, Mary needed a savior, and she found one, and she trusted him to be true to his word. And by the way, he is always true to his word. That is what this whole series has been telling you. You move from being over this to over that, and over this to over that, and over this to over that, and then this morning, overspent to overblessed by trusting that he'll be true to his word, that he will never abandon you that he will restore what was destroyed, that he will resurrect that which is killed, that he, will, that he will recover that which is lost, that he'll reward those who trust him. When you trust that God is true to his word, you begin to transition from feeling overspent to recognizing you're really overblessed. As I look at Mary in this setting, I see that I need to be thankful for the good things that God has provided me. Mary was. She said it out loud, starting in verse 46. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices over God, my Savior. And here's why. Look what he has done. Look what he has done. Look what he has done. I I gotta wonder. I gotta wonder. Think about Mary for a minute. Who do you think she told back in Nazareth that Nazareth, who do you think she told there that that the angel had visited her that believed her? Who do you think she said that to that said, oh, that's cool. I would not have believed her. Would you? But here, maybe for the very first time ever, someone believes her. Elizabeth says, why am I so blessed that the woman who's carrying the Messiah would come and visit me? Man, as soon as I heard your voice, the baby inside me leaped for joy. You're blessed. You believe what God told you. And Mary says, yeah, I am blessed. And what she is doing there in this thing that we call the Magnificat, you know, it's Mary's song, What she's doing there is what Johnson Oatman told us to do a century or so ago. Count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Mary is intentional about doing that. She's rejoicing. What would happen if when you looked in the mirror and you saw the overspent you, you began to count your blessings? I mean, what if you thanked God for his favor? God, thank you for looking on me. With favor? What, what if you praise him for forgiving your sin? Thank you for forgiving me for my sin, God. Thank you for removing my shame. Thank you for giving me breath. Thank you for the roof over my head. Thank you for the ability to see and smell and to taste and to hear and to feel. Thank you for these things, God. How would that change the reflection you're looking at in the mirror? I find it fascinating that as a teenager, Mary had a presence of mind to do this. Rather than thinking about how overspent she was, oh, I can't believe how, I thought I would get a break. I'm helping God out here. This teenage girl recounts the good things that are in her life. And I learned from that teenage girl that I should be thankful. And when I do that, something happens in my life. Let me give you two more lessons we learned from Mary. Be glad that you can contribute to something bigger than yourself. It's absolutely remarkable that Mary catches this. She she sees this isn't just about me. Look at verse 54, it's right there. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. It's, It's about something bigger than me. I don't know if you've read The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren, it's a pretty popular book. Anyone know offhand the very first sentence in that book? In the early service, I said, "What's the first sentence in a purpose-driven life?" And Dr. Spade, whose degree is in psychology, put her hand up and said, "It's not about you." That's the first sentence. It's not about you. The purpose of your life is far greater than your own personal fulfillment, your peace of mind, or even your happiness. It's far greater than your family, oh, your career or even your wildest dreams and ambitions. If you want to know why you're placed on this this planet, then you must begin with God. You were born by his purpose and for his purpose. I guess Mary maybe picked up on that when the angel said to her, you will be with child. (laughs) Something big is going to happen. She knew her purpose was indeed to contribute to something bigger than herself. It's the same with you. There are certain things in this world that God has for you to do. And you are just the right person to do them. How would that mindset change your perspective? I think it would move you maybe from feeling overspent to feeling overblessed. Maybe one of the most relevant keys to having Mary's mindset is to spend time with people whose faith builds your faith. That's what Mary did. The last verse says, Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months. That's a third of her pregnancy. And then she returned home. That's a good long visit. And I'm guessing that for Mary, being in the presence of Elizabeth was like drinking deeply from a cool spring on a sweltering day in a sweltering life. I find it so helpful personally to be with people whose faith builds up my my faith. As past Thursday evening, five men from our church gathered for their Thursday evening Bible study. Titus chapter two is where we were That evening, we were at Tim Glunt's home. We sat down, we began by talking about family, talking about society, trying not to talk about politics, because politics, talking about politics, you know, that's like sucking a vacuum cleaner. That's like kissing a vacuum cleaner. You know, you see this vacuum cleaner, for some reason, your brain feels like, I should kiss that thing. Whoa, whoa, you're stuck. That's why I say we're not talking about politics, because it's hard to get loose from. Thursday evening, I'm sitting in the house there with those five men, Titus chapter 2. We talk about family, society, school. We're from Clearfield County, so we talked about firearms. And then we talked about the passage of the Bible we were reading. I want to read you a couple of verses that are really the heart of that passage. It says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And in the middle of that conversation, one of those men said something that built up my faith. It was absolutely profound in my estimation what he said, so much so that at the end of the evening, I said, I want to write this down. Say what you said again. And he said, man, I don't know if I can remember it. But I think we have the gist of it. As soon as I read it. There is a freedom that comes when you begin to sense the grace of God. A freedom that moves you away from wanting to sin and moves you toward wanting to do the right thing. It comes from God's grace. It's real. I know it's real because I feel it. (laughs) When he said that, man, my spirit soared. I said, I think that's the best thing that's happened to me this Christmas. Just hearing those words. That happens when you spend time with people whose faith builds your own faith. When you spend time with men or women whose faith builds your own faith, you begin to transition from feeling overspent to really feeling overly blessed. And that's a good, good transition to make. Do you feel overspent this Christmas? (laughs) Do you feel overspent in life? Pastor Steve, talking about being overspent at Christmas? I'm overspent my whole life, and I'm not talking about finances. Do you feel like maybe life has given you more than you bargained for? Take a look at Mary, because she took a look at God, her Savior. And when she took that look, she saw what you can see if you will look there. You will see that you need to lean into the truth that God holds out to you, because just like God brought her and Elizabeth, God will bring you whatever you need if you will look to him. Number two, Trust God to be true to his word. God does not speak and then not act. He does not promise and then not fulfill. He is not a son of man that he should lie. You can trust him. Number three, take a step back and begin to count your blessings. Name them one by one. Number four, be glad that you can contribute to something bigger than yourself. I mean, if your life is just a matter of contributing to your own petty needs and whims, I pity you above all people. Be glad that you can contribute to something bigger than yourself. And number five, spend some time with people whose faith builds up your faith. I want to pray that you can do that. If you're comfortable doing so, would you please stand and we'll pray together. Father in heaven, for this time together, we are grateful. For Mary's example, we are grateful. We realize that that which makes Mary's story wonderful (laughs) is you, God. That you led her, enabled her, empowered her To do what would have been impossible for a teenage girl to do. And you do the very same kind of thing in our life. That you offer to lead us, and to empower us, and to enable us to do whatever it is that you have for us to do. When we recognize that, that it all comes from you because it is all about you, then we begin to transition from feeling overspent. We begin to move away from feeling that life is more difficult than we'd hoped it would be, that we're more disappointed than we ought to be. We move away from being overspent, and we begin to realize we're kind of overly blessed. You've given us more than we deserve. We recognize that. We rest in that. We rest in that through the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.